Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. I would imagine that most listening to this podcast today have taken their fair share of tests in their lives. Some have likely even sat for some of the more tougher tests out there that are mandated often for licensure and certification for their field. Most of us in preparing for these exams typically prepare the same old way we did throughout our educational process, utilizing the same old study process that got us through and doing our best to manage our stress, our anxieties, and our fears. But what if there had been a way for us to not just become better test takers, but to have a way to have crushed our test-taking fears and anxieties. It's likely that most of us will have to continue taking exams throughout our careers. And for those coming up through the ranks, exams will most certainly be a part of your rite of passage. Well, that's why I'm excited for today's show and my guest, Dr. Ben Bernstein. Ben is a psychologist, a teacher, performance coach whose career has spanned 40 years in education, psychology, and the arts, including coaching in such diverse settings as psychiatric hospitals, prisons, primary schools, and universities. Ben is the author of three books, A Teen's Guide to Success, Stressed Out for Parents, and Crush Test Anxiety, How to Be Calm, Confident, and Focused on Any Test. Today, Ben is going to be sharing with us strategies for exam anxiety and solutions we can implement for better test taking. Ben, welcome to our show. Thank you, Graham. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It is a delight to have you. You know, Ben, as we jump in today, I know that more times than not, our professional areas of focus, to some degree at least, involve a story of how we ourselves struggled through an area that we now help others through. Mm. How did becoming a performance coach, writing your book, and coaching folks through exam prep become part of your career focus? Well, let's see. It started at an early age, age six, when I was a very prodigious piano player growing up in New York City. And I loved playing the piano. And I had a teacher who took that love and pushed me on stage for recitals and competitions and national auditions. And I really hated it. I wanted to play the piano. I love playing the piano. But get on stage and my hands were shaking. My knees were mm. shaking. You can't play a Brahms piano sonata with everything shaking. So it was extremely anxiety provoking for me and nobody helped me. I got comments like, what's the matter with you? Or you'll grow out of it, or it's all in your head. And none of that rang true. And it kept going. And I stopped playing the piano very abruptly at age 14. Hmm. So it's, you know, answering your questions, it's, I think there are like four phases. This was the first one of this anxiety that continued on when I went to university. And I was really interested in stage acting. Same deal, you know, love to get on stage. But once that curtain went up, the anxiety just went through the roof. The next stage was when I got to graduate school and I realized I have to conquer this because, you know, I'm studying clinical psychology. You really have to deal with your own issues. And I started to work out what was happening for myself. And when I got out of graduate school, the third stage was when I had my postdoc internships in psychiatric hospitals and in prisons. And I realized the people who wanted me to do regular therapy, and I just didn't feel that was going to be the most helpful thing. So I proposed these creative projects, making films, 
writing musicals, doing all these things for the patients who experienced a tremendous amount of joy. You know, and these are people who were seriously medicated or mm -hmm. put away for years. And that clued me into what happened in the last phase, which is when I started my private practice and I realized I'm just not cut out for what most therapists do, which is sitting and really in-depth listening to people and working through issues, long-standing issues and problems. I am a much more active guy and I want to actualize a person's potential. So that's when the performance coaching really began that I started to work with people who had to perform, actors, actresses, let's see, athletes, lawyers, dentists, people who had to perform under high stress situations. And it really peaked when my wife and I moved to California. This was in 1993. I had taken the P, and I was, I was an early student at Academic Review to study for that test and passed that, got licensed in Connecticut and New York. And then we moved to California. And at that time, you had to take an oral exam in California. Mm -hmm. And the pass rate for first-time takers was only 15%. Yeah, that's brutal. Oh. And I joined a group to do what everybody else did. And I couldn't believe these people were all failing the exam. That's when I really started to figure out what was going on, which is that they got disconnected when they went to take the test. They were very adept. They were clinically well-versed. They knew the material. At that time, I was taking ATABs for the oral exam. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a graduate of these programs. And the programs are great. They're very comprehensive, but they are like all almost all test prep material. They really prepare you with the content of the exam, what to expect, all of those things. But there's a whole other stage, which is the performance stage, where you have to actually perform. So I actually think more of my work is performance anxiety rather than just test anxiety, because we all have to perform actually every day. And just thinking about what you said in the introduction, we all do face exams of different kinds in our lives, but we face tests every day. That's right. Every single day. And, you know, I, then I start to really think about what was going on how to best help these people. And I take a lot of my work from sports psychology, because if you think about athletes, particularly Olympic athletes, are at the top of their game and they have to perform, billions of people are watching. What are they doing? How does it work? So I developed a model, and that's what I've been using for the last 40 years. What I like, the way you're framing this, is that although we're talking about exam preparation here and... Yeah managing test anxiety, it's actually under a larger umbrella, isn't it? A performance anxiety, whether it's with lawyers, actresses, athletes, test takers. It's under this performance anxiety. And that, that's an important understanding, isn't it here? It is. And, and then, of course, it broadens out to that we're all performing every day. Every day. Right? It, all of yeah. us in our lives, whether you're a parent or you're a yeah. CEO or you're a frontline worker or... That's right. We're all performing. So how do we perform at our best? And that's the model that I created. And when people come to me and they say, you know, I, I, have, I have to pass, pass the triple P, I've taken it seven times, mm -hmm. you know, or I want to score, you know, whatever on the SAT or ACT, I say, I want you to pass and I want you to score, but I'm going to give you tools that we all should have gotten in the second grade. And these tools are going to be just what you need to pass this test or to get the score you want. And you're going to be able to use them in all kinds of situations. So 
In fact, one of your reviews that I read had a gentleman saying the very same thing. He said, yeah, I was able to pass this exam with Dr. Bernstein's help. However, these strategies and these approaches and these techniques about performance in general have really helped me in other areas of my life. So I really like broadening it to if we can take these strategies that we're going to learn about in our time with you today, these are applicable and generalizable, aren't they, to other areas that are our day-to-day stuff? Yeah. And when, that's great, Graham. And when I work with people, I point that out to them, that yeah. when you work with me, it's really helpful if you practice the performance tools that I give with this model that I created, but practice them all the time. When your kids are screaming, you know, when you see an email that you don't like, when your boss is yelling at you, right. you can be practicing these tools all the time. And the more people practice, the more they realize that this is this is helpful. The other part of that I would say too, when people come, they are so focused on the exam. So it's like, Life, 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 exam, life, right. life, 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 life. And I, sh- I point out to them, yes, there's a, there's a real rise in pressure and in stress, but let's naturalize that for want of a better term. Let's put this in the context of your whole life. So it's not like that. It's like life, 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 exam, life, life, life. It keeps going on. Right. So you're helping them kind of reframe this and maybe, and maybe right-size this in a way that it doesn't have to have that big blip. As, we, as we're going to be talking again about how, what some of the strategies and, and, and techniques and approaches you use, but help us be educated a little bit more. There can be different levels of test anxiety, can't there? From the proverbial butterflies in the stomach mm. to a level of severity that actually impairs learning Correct. and interferes with test performance. Much like what you said at the beginning of your show, you love the piano, but the level of anxiety can impair one actually performing to their inherent potential. What are some of the various levels experienced by people that are typically seeking you out? This is a great question because it points to the science on which my work Mm -hmm. is based. So in the early 1900s, two psychologists, Yerkes and Dodson, did the first research on how stress affects performance. Actually, it was about arousal, but we don't use that word because it has other connotations, you know, in our time, but how stress affects performance. And it's a bell curve, Mm -hmm. right? So too little stress and too much stress, performance starts to go down or deteriorate. But then there's just the right amount of stress. Mm -hmm. And that peak where there's just the right amount of stress is where performance is optimized. It's one of the most researched studies in the field of psychology. So the key here is related to your question is where are you on that curve? Most people come to me and I say, first thing I say is I show them the curve, whether they're an athlete or a dentist or whatever, point to where you are. And usually they point to that side of the graph where stress is too much. Right. Okay. And what I explain to them is what we're going to do together is we're going to work together so that you can identify when you're feeling stressed and you can get yourself back into that middle place. So yes, you're absolutely right. People come with, you know, from a very mild symptoms, momentarily forgetting material or feeling tense or distracted to almost full-scale panic attacks. I mean, I've had a couple of people on that score where some people have pointed off the page where they are. And so my job as a coach, as their coach, is to work with them to identify just where they are and where they want to be. 
And then we work with it. And the key here is that people start to think about stress in a very different way. We tend to think about stress as my kids, the government, COVID, and it's a lot of finger pointing. As if all those things changed, my life would totally work. Well, all those things are not going to change. That's called life. And the stress that you're feeling is not because of those things. It's actually your reaction to those things, yeah. which is the stress that you're feeling. You know, I hold up a piece of paper. I don't have it right here, but I hold up a piece of paper that says test, T-E-S-T. -E I said, so you're saying this stresses you out. And the person goes, yeah, Dr. B, test stress me out. So I said, this is a piece of paper with four letters on it. So what you're saying is, I put it down on the table. What you're saying is, the piece of paper is jumping off the table and choking you. And then they laugh because it's not. It's a piece of paper with four letters on it. It's your reaction to that, which is usually historical in some way, right? That's causing that. So once people get yeah. that, then we can actually proceed into what they need. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. I think that's a very helpful and I think a little playful way for them to kind of realize that, hey, where's my, where's my locus of control? Is it nice. externally where That's I'm going beautiful. to be only as good as those things around me? Or can I, like what you're encouraging, can I have an internal locus of control that maybe I haven't, haven't even recognized that I'm not using that internal locus of control that I inherently have, which can be part of my underlying cause for my test anxiety. And you're helping them kind of right-size this and maybe reframe this and change that locus of control, aren't you? You know, I have had a number of interviews like this, Graham, and you're the first person who actually nailed it in this way, which is that it is a shift in the locus of control. That's actually not terminology I use because I don't use it. It's, it there's no value judgment on it, but you're absolutely right. And what occurs to me when you say that is that we're not trained in our schooling to have an internal locus of control. You do what I say. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have, in order to do, you have to do, you have to do. And people just keep doing what they're supposed to do, but they don't develop. Thank you so much for that. They don't develop the internal locus of control. That's really helpful. Thank you. And what I'm, yeah, thank you. What, what, I'm, what I'm hearing is that you help them reclaim that. I mean, without that, we understand that some of the levels of, you know, anxiety around exams or just performance in general can, you know, show up in physical ways, like you're saying, with the sweating or the shaking, the rapid heartbeat, dry mouth, or behaviorally, where people, we see it all the time with tests, you know, they yeah. become avoidant or procrastinative right. or 
Yeah. Maybe, you know, cognitively, you know, when we get stressed, we have memory problems or difficulty sure. concentrating or that negative self-talk cognitively. Right. Even emotionally, where we become depressed or low self-esteem sure. or anger or feelings of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But when you're saying, hey, what if we can change just the way that we look at this? That's right. And what if these the four letters on this page aren't as dangerous as you might interpret them to be? Exactly. We can begin there with kind of resetting that cornerstone and reclaiming that locus of control. I really like that start. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. And the way I, it's really helpful. The way I follow that up is to explain to people what's going on when they are feeling stressed. So mm. let's look at this together. You go into an exam and there are three parts of you. There's your body, your mind, and your spirit. Mm. Those mm. are the, that's the totality of who we are. That's what's operating in any life situation, in any performance situation. Now we know from years and years of research in different fields that there are optimal states in the body and in the mind and the spirit for optimal performance. The body wants to be calm, the mind wants to be confident, and the spirit wants to be focused. Now, so the training that I do, you said help people. I actually don't help anybody, I train them. Mm. I train them to become aware when they're losing it in one, two, or three of those areas and how to get themselves back. So there's two parts of the training. One is awareness. Awareness, so for the body is, are you feeling butterflies? Is your breath stopped? Is your, are your shoulders going up? Awareness in the mind, and from performance terms, the mind is what you're saying to yourself about yourself at the time of performance. So are you saying negative things like, I can't handle this, I'll never pass, I'm not a good test taker, Or are you giving yourself positive messages? Stress goes up when you're giving yourself negative messages. Mm -hmm. And for the spirit, which is the part that we routinely avoid for all kinds of reasons, but it's actually, I think, the most important, it's your driving force. Let's remove it or separate it, I should say, from the context of religion or spirituality. And just think about the spirit in you, which is What's driving you to be a psychologist? Why do you want to get a a good score on the MCAT? Where are you going with your life? That's your spirit. So spirit manifests as staying focused, having a goal, and taking actions that get you to your goal. I really like laying those out like that. Each each, each part has something that it uniquely is trying to to really embody the body, mind, and spirit. It wants to be calm, confident, and focused. In all of these years and and the expanse of people that you've worked with, what have you learned about the underlying causes of anxiety performance for most? Sure. Sure. The underlying causes are usually negative experiences that we've had, right? Particularly at early ages. You know, I remember in the fourth grade when we had a test, I was sit there and I would just be nervous as all get out, you know, and the teacher would be walking around and we actually start to get wired up that in order to pass or to do well, I have to get so anxious. I have to overcome this anxiety. You don't overcome anxiety. You dissolve anxiety. You reduce anxiety, right? I don't talk about managing stress. I talk about reducing stress. You don't, managing sounds like you're just carrying around a big trunk on your back and you just have to manage it. No, we're going to reduce it. So this is the model that I use, which is a three-legged stool, body, mind, and spirit. When all three legs are equally strong, 
this is a very sturdy platform for performance. But if one of the legs gives out or two, this is the effect. Yes. So your, your focus goes off the test or the testing situation, and it goes on to how anxious you are, or I can't figure this out. Your mind starts to go kerfluic, and then you're thinking about failing the test. So this, this is a, a really terrible state to face any test in because you've lost your center, basically. When you talk about lo locus of control, Graham, I'm going to use that from now on. When you talk about locus of control, that's what we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? You want really to be good. calm, confident, and focused. And focused. I really like those. Really like those. I like the idea, too, that we don't, you know, yeah, we can manage stress, but it's like carrying something. But you're talking about dissolving it. You're talking about reducing it. Yeah. I, and I found whether it's performance in a relationship, I do a lot of therapy. So performance mm -hmm. in a relationship or parenting, all the things you're talking about, just in sports psychology as well. It is a lot of times about our fear of failure, sure. maybe a fragile ego, you know, the imposter syndrome coming into this last gatekeeping of test. Of course. But the role of our history plays such a significant role. I remember in fifth grade, I was giving a, a talk on Johnny Appleseed. It was a poem that I had to memorize. <laughs> I was up in front of the class and I was so That's nervous amazing. and I didn't realize, but my leg was shaking like nobody's business and the class was laughing and I had no idea what was happening. Yeah. Over the subsequent years, I developed a, a stutter oh, because I became yeah. so afraid of what, you know, how I was going to exactly. produce things or present things. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of mastered that, got through that and understood things. But you're right. Those early experiences can really shape the way that we see ourselves. And going back to the control piece, really could be some of the underlying causes for anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when people come to me and they say, initially, and many people do this around tests, they say, I'm, I'm not a good test taker. Mm -hmm. And I pause for a moment and I say, well, if you're not a good test taker, what's the point of you coming here? Because you've already sealed the deal. I'm not a good test taker. How about, how about considering in the past, I've had a lot of difficulty taking tests. That's a radically different statement than I'm not a good test taker. That's huge. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So when I can work with people to just shift that, you didn't have tools, you didn't understand what, really what was going on with you. You have a lot of what I call unproductive habits around tests. Lots of unproductive and a lot of unconscious habits. Here, I'll give you another demonstration. Okay, so I watch a lot of people over 40 years take tests. And this is one of the things that happens. The examiner gives out the test and says, begin yeah. the test. So watch carefully. The person opens a test and goes, when I'm talking in front of an audience, I say, what do you observe? And people say, oh, you got freaked out or you hit a wall. Or... So I said, watch again. And I'm going to exaggerate. Begin the test. I'm holding my breath. Oh, I'm not breathing. So when you hold your breath, <laughs> what's the message that your brain is getting? You're yeah. dying. Yeah. Is your stress going up or down? It's going <laughs> up. Is your yeah. performance going up or down? It's going down. So I've trained people. One of the things I do with exams is I train people in something I call three-point breathing. And if you're listening to this podcast, use it. Three-point breathing means before you read a question, every question, you exhale. Before you read the answer choices, you exhale. After you bubble in an answer, you exhale. So what does this mean? It means you're regularizing your breath through the course of the test. That holding the breath 
your whole system going into high alert, sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, gets dissolved. You also get exhausted at the end of four hours of doing that. So people who practice, and this is the key word in training, in any training, athletic training, musical training, practice. You have to practice. This is not yes. an idea, right? I had once, I gave a workshop at a big Eastern University, and in the break, one of the students came up and she was very irate and she looked me right in the face and she said, I've done the breathing thing. <laughs> and my heart just went out to her. I know yeah. what she meant. Yeah. But I said to her, look, we're all doing the breathing thing. This right. is not a one and done. People, you know, have a session with me and they go away and they're all turned on. They come back and they say, I have any more tips? You got any more tips? So I say, look, I'm honored to give tips to people who are servers in restaurants. I'm not giving you tips. I'm giving you tools. Yes. And you have to learn how to use the tools. Believe me, they're not complicated. Breathing is one of the most simplest things that we ever do. When, when right. you put it this way, these are tools that it's not like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this on now because I'm, I'm in this situation. You're saying these are things that can become an integrated part of our lives, whether it's our attitude beautiful, or whether it's our breath. And you, you know, I was thinking about the attitude piece. Mark Twain said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, either way, you're going to be right. <laughs> that is you, you so get to great. Choose. That, I love and then, that. And then That's when you're great. talking about this breathing, yeah. which is great, the exhale yeah. is the most important part of the breath because it activates the vagus nerve. That's exactly right. Which relaxes everything. So that, yeah. that emphasis on the exhale. So you're saying these are tools that you get to implement in your life, whether you're parenting, whether you're waiting in line, it's a, it's a, or traffic, or how do you perform in whatever exactly. moment you're in? With yeah. your attitude that's lined up properly. That's right. And also with the the ability to manage and reduce whatever stress begins to get aroused within you. Really that's good. Right. Yeah. So it's so great that you picked up on the exhale because this is a fairly recent thing for me. I gave a workshop in the heat of COVID for hospital CEOs, okay? About the most stressed out people in the country, hospital mm -hmm. CEOs. And we went through this an exercise related to the calm tools. There are only nine tools, three for being calm, three for being confident, and three for being focused. And we went through the calm tools. And for whatever reason, I was really focusing on the exhale. And when the, it, the feedback session, one of the gentlemen said, you know, it's the first time that I got it about breathing. Most people say breathe, and I'm saying, I'm breathing. What is, what is it? So, right. so it was so helpful because he, it, it made sense. We're actually holding our breath. We don't need to breathe. We need to exhale. So thanks for picking up on that. It's, it's a, a really big good difference. It's a great it, suggestion. And I yeah. think the emphasis on that, and actually it's the exhale that we can control the best. Yes. And there's something about psychologically being able to say, if I can't control anything else, I can control my breathing in this moment and the the physiological effects of that exactly bring down my heart rate my heart my yeah. blood my, my blood pressure my eyes yeah. dilate so i can see things better and i got this oxygenated blood in my system now because right. my blood vessels are dilating and i can be in a best state to perform whatever i'm doing that's in front of me that's right so imagine so i do this with parents your kid comes in the room and screaming daddy 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 <laughs> And right. many parents, and I am not faulting parents, it's probably next to teaching one of the most difficult jobs in the world. Kid comes in, daddy, daddy, daddy. And the daddy says, calm down. Right. So when kid comes in and daddy gets trained as the kid's screaming to just exhale, 
is a whole different ball game goes on. Yeah. Right. That's what I call the induced reaction. We get induced. It's like a riptide. We get pulled into that. Really? It's like a riptide. We get pulled into that when really we can, we can be centered in ourselves. Again, locus of control, centered in ourselves. Isn't that a great thing that we have control over that with the right kind of breath and the emphasis on that? Folks, pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Ben Bernstein, for coming on our show today. For more information about Ben Bernstein's website, Be Your Best Performance Coaching, please visit drbeyourbest.com, spelled D-R-B-Y-O-U-R-Best.com. For more information about Ben's Crush Your EPPP online course or Crush Your Test Anxiety online course, please visit courses.drbeyourbest.com. And for more information about Crush Your Test Anxiety by Dr. Ben Bernstein, please visit drbeyourbest.com slash product slash crush dash your dash test dash anxiety. And lastly, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And we'll look forward to seeing you with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.